everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay. It's been a week. But I think I can say, without any fear of contradiction, pretty much anything. Because fortunately, I am not afraid of contradiction. And that is a great way to begin a sentence. It makes it sound like there is no way you could possibly be wrong, when all it's really saying is, you're not scared of somebody saying you're wrong. Which, I'm not. I'm pretty used to it. On the other hand, you will pretty much never hear me start a sentence by saying, I think I can say without fear of raccoons, because I have never said anything without fear of raccoons. Those guys are fucking terrifying. I got those little human-like hands. Oh, they're cute. I'll grant you that. They're cute. They'd just as soon scoop your eyeball out as look at you, and then they just wash it in a stream before they ate it. Because for frickin' garbage monsters, they're all hygienic and shit. Oh, raccoons. Anyway, I think I can say, without fear of contradiction, that that's been enough of that nonsense. Let's get into some different nonsense. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Bradley Null. Donna was Diana's youth, then instead became her sis. Haney simply didn't care, so here's a synopsis. Thanks, Bradley, man. Well done. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 44, July 1984. The Judas Contract, book three, There Shall Come a Titan. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, inked by Dick Giordano and Mike DiCarlo, colored by Adrienne Roy, lettered by Todd Klein, and edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. Teen Titan Roll Call. Introducing Nightwing. And also introducing Jericho. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. After spending the bulk of his childhood running around in brightly colored underwear punching criminals as the Batman sidekick Robin, Dick Grayson decided it was finally time to start acting like a grown-up and change into a pair of brightly colored tights. Unfortunately, the acrobatic adolescent had yet to stumble across a suitably superheroic pseudonym, and until he did, the alter-egoless adventurer was stuck as a civilian, sporting the least crime-fighting conducive crotch coverings of all. Pants! Oh no! But Dick had little time to long for less lamentable legwear, for, soon after putting his previous persona in the past, the unmasked Marvel was attacked in his apartment by longtime Titan's foe, Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke the Terminator, a superpowered assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. Although physically outmatched by the monocular mercenary, Dick managed to escape to nearby Central Park. After taking a moment to regroup, our harried hero visited the apartments of his teammates Starfire, Wonder Girl, and Cyborg. Dick did some detectiving and soon determined that not only had his teammates been captured by Deathstroke, but that the complimentary color-clad criminal must have known the hero's respective secret identities before he did the kidnapping. An increasingly desperate Dick headed to the Titan's Tower to check in on the rest of his costumed cohort, but upon arriving at the T-shaped skyscraper, the codenameless Crusader was confronted by two suspicious strangers. 
The elder of the two invading interlopers introduced herself as Adeline and revealed that her mutton-chopped companion was her son, Joseph. Adeline went on to inform the former boy wonder that she knew he used to be Robin and that the Titan's most recent recruit, a brash young earthbending orphan named Terra, was in fact a double agent who had been secretly working for Deathstroke the entire time. The duplicitous dirt distributor had been handing the team's secrets over to her depth perception deficient partner and had helped him capture her purported pals. Disoriented, Dick demanded to know how Adeline and Joseph knew so much about Deathstroke and his perfidious plans. So Adeline told our perplexed protagonist that she was Slade Wilson's ex-wife. Gad Zooks! Will a distraught Dick finally debut some new designer duds? What is Deathstroke's startling secret origin? And how will Joseph overcome Dick's initial distrust? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Yup. Kind of a mashup of Captain America, Top Gun, and Iron Eagle. And he makes him punch himself in the face. Dick's been having a rough day and is more than a little defensive. He gets all up in Adeline's face and is like, No way is Terra a traitor. I mean, sure, she lies all the time and is always explicitly demanding that we tell her our secrets and won't answer any of our questions, but... Um... And another thing. How did you know I was Robin? Oh, and uh, also, I'm... Um, what are you talking about? I was never Robin. Adeline responds. Let me answer that incoherent sputtering by saying, first of all, come on. And furthermore, come on. Fair enough. Unable to refute this logic, Dick tries a different brand of defensiveness, getting all up in Joseph's mutton-chop framed face and demanding, How come you aren't talking? What, do you think you're better than me? Ah, the unofficial New Hampshire state motto. Adeline replies on Joseph's behalf, Actually, he can't talk. But he doesn't think he's better than you. He's the nicest, sweetest, kindest, gentlest person in the whole world. Okay, Addy, I get that he's your kid and all, but you live in the same world as Aqualad, so I think we both know that that's impossible. Let's be realistic. Dick backs down a little, and Adeline takes the opportunity to sit down and light up a smoke. She's like, look, Dick, I think we got off on the wrong foot. I may be rude enough to start smoking in your home without asking, but I'm not so rude that I'd show up uninvited without bringing a gift. And I showed up to this impromptu potluck with a heaping helping of exposition casserole. Why, what's that off in the middle distance? I do believe it's Deathstroke's origin story. Flashback noise. It was the early 60s, and Captain Adeline Kane was the best hand-to-hand -hand fighter in the U.S. Army. Kane had just been assigned to Camp Washington, a secret base where the army was about to begin training the country's most elite soldiers in how to be even more elite and soldiery. Captain Kane was put in charge of combat training, which, all things considered, was pretty dang progressive for that time. Her star pupil was a young, blonde-haired, two-eyed man who used a normal percentage of his brain named Major Slade Wilson. Slade had lied about his age and joined up when he was 16, so despite still being quite young, he was already a Korean War veteran. He was also real, real good at kicks and punches and shooting and stuff. Adeline trained him to be good at sneakiness, too. Naturally, Wilson and Kane fell in love. As their romance progressed, Adeline learned that in addition to having a traditional number of eyeballs and brainpower percentage at his disposal, Slade also had a pal named Major Wintergreen, who was an older British army guy who had befriended Wilson, presumably while they were doing army stuff together. Good for them! Slade and Adeline got married a few months later, and a few months after that, Slade was shipped out to Vietnam, and Adeline gave birth to their first son, Grant Wilson. 
cute kid. I'm sure everything will work out fine for him. See, it's funny because he turns out to be an abusive asshole and wannabe assassin who dies in his attempt to kill the Teen Titans. See? Funny. During the course of his service, Wilson volunteered to be a test subject for some medical experiments on his adrenal glands, which, if successful, would allow him to withstand the effects of truth serum. Unfortunately, there were some side effects, and instead of becoming a super great liar, Slade instead went into shock and had to be heavily sedated. In the months that followed, Wilson's health fluctuated. Some days he would have almost superhuman strength and reflexes. On others, he would be unable to walk and nearly comatose. The army removed him from active duty. He was so bummed out, he didn't even chuckle at the use of the word duty. Man, that's rough. Then he found out his old buddy Wintergreen had been captured by hostile forces in Vietnam. Slade begged his superiors to allow him to lead a mission to rescue his captive comrade-in-arms, but the brass refused. So, Wilson did what anyone would do in that situation. He stole a plane, flew to Vietnam, and undertook a successful jungle rescue mission all by himself. Hooray! Only he did it all off-panel. What the fuck? We got three pages of him getting better at shooting cardboard targets, and then when he goes full Iron Eagle and does a solo commando mission rescuing his missing chum, that gets a single sentence of expositional dialogue? Boo! Boo! After he returned from his off-panel escapade, the army fired Slade. He was super bummed out at first, but his medical stuff seemed to stabilize, which was nice for him, and after a little while, he got really into big game hunting gross. Within a couple of years, Slade Wilson became a world-famous hunter, which I guess is totally a thing. He was on the cover of all the hunting magazines, where normally you'd expect to see, like, deer and shit. Things seemed to be going pretty great. He and Adeline had a second son, Joseph. While his older brother Grant was getting into guns and fighting and stuff, Joseph was sensitive and liked art and music. He had a beautiful singing voice, not unlike myself. The Wilsons started having a bunch of fancy dinner parties. Slade would invite foreign dignitaries who would all crowd around and try to gain the attention of the world-famous hunter. It wasn't particularly Addie's thing, but she was stoked that her husband seemed to have gotten over his disappointment at his discharge from the army and seemed to be enjoying himself. Then, one night, while Slade was off on a hunt, some asshole ninjas broke into the Wilson family home to kidnap young Joseph. Fucking ninjas. Despite the fact that it was the mid-70s and not the 1980s, the ninjas in question were wearing brightly colored outfits with matching headbands. Adeline killed most of the conspicuously clad kidnappers, but one of them managed to escape with the child. As he left, the surviving ninja yelled to Adeline Wilson that she should tell Deathstroke the Terminator he'd better negotiate with them. When Slade returned home, he revealed to his tearful wife that he was in fact Deathstroke. Soon after his discharge, his abilities had not only stabilized, but increased. He now had superhuman reflexes and, yes, used 90% of his brain. Since he could no longer use his skills in service of his country, he had gone into business for himself as a high-priced super assassin. Well, I guess everybody needs a hobby. After informing his wife about his secret double life, Deathstroke changed into his super suit. It looked pretty much the same as his current outfit, only the entire mask was orange and it had two eye holes. Deathstroke and Adeline went to negotiate with a kidnapper at the prearranged meeting place, which turned out to be a creepy abandoned back alley, because of course it did. 
it turned out that the kidnapping had been orchestrated by an international terrorist who went by the codename The Jackal. But he wasn't that international terrorist codenamed The Jackal. The Jackal wanted Deathstroke to tell him who had hired him to kill a guy, only Deathstroke didn't want to reveal that information on account it would compromise his reputation as an assassin. The Jackal, but not that the Jackal, understood, but raised the point that if Deathstroke didn't reveal the name of his employer, the Jackal would slit Joseph's throat. Deathstroke appeared unmoved by this argument. Adeline, on the other hand, was very moved by this argument and was significantly less than pleased at her husband's intractable stance. Suddenly, Deathstroke leapt into action and used 90% of his brain and 100% of his eyeballs to deftly execute a series of maneuvers that killed the Jackal and his henchmen. Unfortunately, before his death, the Jackal managed to slit young Joseph's throat. Slade and Adeline rushed their son to the hospital. The doctors were able to save the boy's life, but he would never speak or presumably sing again. Dang. Perhaps understandably, Adeline blamed her husband for Joseph's condition. A few days later, she confronted him and asked him to stop doing murders for hire, please, as it made his family potential targets for his enemies. Slade refused. So Addy shot him in the head. Tough but fair. Due to Slade's enhanced reflexes, he was able to move just in time to keep the wound from being fatal, but he did lose his right eye. They were divorced soon thereafter, which I guess makes sense. It'd be tough to argue that child endangerment resulting in attempted spousal homicide doesn't qualify as irreconcilable differences. Her tale concluded, Adeline refocuses her vision out of the middle distance, ending the flashback, and informs her audience that she has been keeping tabs on Slade ever since the incident, and looking for a way to bring him down. She wanted to inform Dick about the danger the Titans were in, but couldn't approach him as long as Tara was still hanging around. But the good news is that she and Joseph know where Slade took the captured Titans. Dick is stoked to hear that, and runs upstairs to change. Galvanized into action, the young adventurer has finally decided on his new nom de guerre. The acrobat formerly known as Robin opens up a briefcase that he has been keeping under his bed and removes a high-collared, low-fee-necked, navy blue, powder blue, and yellow unitard. He ruminates to himself that his new name and costume will pay homage to his former mentors, his deceased parents, and his girlfriend Starfire. It's a pretty good outfit. Sporting his fancy new duds, Dick Grayson descends the Titan Towers staircase and announces to his guests that his new codename is now Nightwing. Okay then, couple things about that name. First of all, there is no way I'm not going to fuck up and call him Nighthawk about a million times. Sorry for that in advance. Also, I think it's kind of funny that when Dick decides he's tired of living in Batman's shadow and wants to strike out and make a name for himself as his own man, he chooses the name that Superman used to use when he dressed up like Batman back in the 60s. Interesting. Also, as he comes downstairs and dramatically announces his new handle, he sees that Joseph too has changed into some fancy duds and is standing at the base of the stairs with his hands on his hips. Adeline announces that Joe will be joining Nighthawk on his mission, and that his new superhero name is Jericho. Dick is unimpressed. He states that he neither knows nor trusts Jericho, and intends to save his teammates unassisted. Well, this festival of friendship is off to a terrible start. At his mother's insistence, Joseph, er, Jericho, gives a demonstration of his superpowers. It turns out 
that when he locks eyes with someone, he can take over their body and make the person do whatever he wants. Cool, cool, cool. Like I needed another reason to avoid eye contact with everyone. Deciding that the best way to win Dick's trust is to use his powers on him, Jericho does exactly that, forcing the former boy wonder, against his will, to do a weird little dance. When, for some reason, that brief demonstration of his ability to rob someone of both their agency and their dignity doesn't immediately convince Dick that Joe is a great guy, Adeline insists that her son use his powers in a more forceful manner. With great reluctance, Jericho makes the newly christened Nightwing punch himself in the face. So on the one hand, hooray! That was very funny. On the other hand, I'm more than a little uncomfortable with the fact that this new hero, who is textually established as a wonderful person, has a superpower that is essentially the opposite of consent. So, there's that. Dick doesn't seem to have the same reservations that I do. Being forced to punch himself in the face has convinced him that Jericho is his friend. Man, being raised by Batman really fucked that guy up. Jericho and Nightwing climb into the Titan's jet and fly off to rescue the rest of the team. Adeline watches the plane lift off, takes a drag off of what appears to be a cigarello, and smiles to herself. To be continued. Oh, actually, the next chapter is the final chapter of the Judas Contract. To be concluded. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing? I am doing okay. Just okay? Yeah, just okay. I'm still honestly recovering from, like, I did not get a lot of sleep when we were putting out that Halloween episode, and so I'm catching up now, but Good. yeah, just okay. Yeah, that was the big effort. Yeah, but I think worth it. It seemed like people liked it okay, so that's good. I liked it, and I just had to come over and say a few things, so that was easy for me. You did all the hard work. Thanks. Welcome. So, what'd you think of this comic? Pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah. I felt like in a relatively short amount of time, they established... I thought a pretty good, believable, interesting backstory for how Slade became Slade. Like, he was always kind of a dick. Right. But, you know, people change over time, too. Yeah, and he definitely got to be more of a dick. He changed for the worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked this issue, and I, I feel like Wolfman is kind of at his best when he has a focused story that he's telling. And this, really, he takes time, slows down, focuses on a couple of things. We get... The main thing in this issue is Deathstroke's backstory. Mm-hmm. And then we get the introduction of the Nightwing costume and the introduction of Jericho as a character. We'll get into this when we talk about clothes, but I just got to get off my chest. I would like to have a word with Mr. Perez because tight pants and flowing blousey tops are a bad look. Uh, they're very hot right now, Corey. Is that so? I don't know, probably. I be surprised. High-waisted pants are back, so who knows? Yeah. Up Je- is down, Jesus. down is up. Oh. <laughs> His clothes really <laughs> bugged me. He looks yeah. so dumb. We'll definitely get into it Okay, later. I just had to uh, say I, that. I understand. I understand. But yeah, no, I really liked this issue. I thought it was really well done. It did... I think... I mean, it, it's inevitable that it's going to slow down the momentum, I think, of the narrative a little bit, because you do kind of take time out of the forward 
moving to uh, establish a backstory of a different character and introduce some stuff, but I thought it was really well handled, and uh, yeah, it's exciting to see uh, Dick back in some crime fighting gear, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's uh, let's dive into the comic book. All right. Adeline and Joseph have busted into the Titanical Tower and are confronting Dick and saying, Hey, we know that you used to be Robin and stuff. He takes a weird approach where he is still kind of stonewalling them, but doing it very ineffectively because he's in the Titans headquarters. He's willing to stipulate that he belongs in the Titans headquarters. He refers to the Titans as his team, but is just like, but I'm not willing to say that I'm Robin. So do you think you're going to try to convince them that you're either Beast Boy or Cyborg? <laughs> he doesn't do a great job intellectually in this issue. It's no, not, I think he's still in a little bit of a state of shock, but that did kind of crack me up. We, we get him saying... You break into the Titans' defenses, claim I'm Robin, and insist that one of our members, Terra, is a traitor? Lady, you're either crazy or you think I am. Like, no. What pretty part much of that just, sounds implausible? You just said. <laughs> yeah, you said our team. So either you're a different one of the Titans, and, I mean, process of elimination, you look an awful lot like Robin. Certainly more than you look like Cyborg or Beast Boy. Or Raven. Mm -hmm. Or Starfire. Mm -hmm. Adeline's pretty chill about it, too. She's just like, well, okay, whatever. Take a minute. Think about it. And uh, <laughs> and you'll see that... Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, man. Yeah, what did you think of Adeline? What a badass lady. Yeah. It is kind of weird to me that her last name is Kane. Her maiden name is Kane, we find out in this. Uh, I think she's still going by Wilson. Mm -hmm. But... It seems like there should be more surnames in the DCU, because we've already had Francis Kane, mm -hmm. and then there's also Betty Kane, or Bet Kane, who was the Batgirl who was part of the West Coast Titans, mm. and then we also have Kathy Kane, who is Batwoman, who I th think is, that one makes sense in terms of her and Batgirl having the same last name, because I think Batgirl is her niece, but I mean... I think the Kathy Kane and Betty Kane, that was an homage to Bob Kane, the co-creator of Batman. Mm -hmm. But the Francis Kane seems unnecessary. And then, like, you introduce a few issues later, it's Marth Wolfman likes to reuse names, which we've seen before. We saw that he used Starfire, both as the Russian hero. I bet he's got a hat with some names in it. Yeah, but there's only like 3. It's a small hat. It's like one of those uh hats that like maybe you get a Sunday in at a baseball game. Sure, a little plastic hat. Little plastic hat. Yeah. It's got 3 names in it and those names are Kane, Starfire, and Jericho because we've seen him use Jericho before too or he wanted to use Jericho. Jericho was going to be the name of the black superhero that he tried to introduce in the late 60s and dc was just like nope mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep so probably you know i imagine he's got a kind of like a cluttered desk and there's this little like red Sox <laughs> plastic hat with those three names in it right he's like oh shit new guy <laughs> oh crap i already used these other two well i'm gonna put kane back in again right so uh that's the problem once he pulls the name out of the hat the name goes right back in that little hat mm -hmm. Other than that, Adeline Kane seems pretty badass. Pretty badass. However, 
I am just not sure. Like, it ends the way the comic ends with her, like, after Nightwing and... I'm gonna keep calling him Nighthawk, It's too. hard not to, because... And we'll, we'll get back to it later, but there is kind of a reason for that. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, after Nightwing and Jericho fly off to go do stuff, she's, you know, kind of smiling and looking out the window, smoking a cigarette in a way that definitely foreshadows some sort of shenanigans, but I don't know if they're good or bad. Yeah, like, we don't know if it's like, okay, I finally wanted, like, because she does say, I I want revenge against my husband. He almost got my kid killed. My family won't be safe until he's dead. She's trying to bring him down. We know that. But you're right. At the end, when she's looking off and smiling at how well everything's going, it seems a little bit nefarious. I wonder to what extent, though, that is us viewing it through modern lenses and the fact that she is smoking carries into that. Because by today's standards, that makes it seem, I think, more villainous than it might have in the early 80s. Dang. I mean, I don't know. It's like, she's so unhealthy. Yeah. How could she possibly be making other good decisions? (laughs) (laughs) It just, I think now smoking seems like more of a bad guy move than it did back then. And it doesn't seem very grown up at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love that PSA. (laughs) It's stuck in my head, man. It has been for me, too. And it's hard to find. Like, I've, I've been looking around online. I know it's there, but the R2-D2, is that a cigarette you're smoking? <laughs> no, I don't think it looks. <laughs> and it isn't very grown up at all. <laughs> well, I know I don't have a heart. <laughs> but you're setting a very bad example for the children out there. What does he do? Does he, then he stubs it out? Yeah, he stubs it out. I love this. Little trash can looking droid with the little arm thing holding a cigarette. By far the best part, though, is the as they pull away from the spaceship that they're on, and there's the. Artu, do you really think I don't have a heart? Yeah. What do you think Artu was saying there? Do you think he was just saying, like, like is, sorry, man, we're robots. like, Yeah, I mean, you, you don't. I mean. He's a real. He's the realist. Yeah. In this situation. Mm hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about Deathstroke's backstory. Okay. It's good. I like it. I've heard him described before as being the Vietnam version of Captain America. Hmm. I think that came up uh, when I was a guest on uh, Graphic Policy. And I had heard that before. I had not heard it in the context of this issue. And in this issue, I I mean, I had assumed that that was bringing more baggage to the table and had a larger meaning than this, but this is almost literally the case in this. Mm -hmm. He has a very similar origin to Captain America, but was for the Vietnam War rather than World War II. Mm -hmm. And we see that reflected, I think, both in literally that's what's happening here, but also in his attitude that it's more mercenary and more cynical. Mm-hmm. And I I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's handled really well. What I found a little bit frustrating is, we get the Top Gun story, where, like, the young hotshot falls in love with his commanding officer who's training him. And that's nice, and I get that. But there are allusions to the Iron Eagle story, which they just leave on the fucking cutting room floor. He has to go undercover and get Wintergreen out of mm-hmm. the jail in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I was like... That sounds like a really exciting story, and we get half a sentence about it. She also, like, makes a very brief allusion to how he knows Wintergreen, and that seems like a more interesting story. And 
I don't know. I, I mean, I think partly what I'm saying is I'm more of an Iron Eagle guy than I am a uh, Top Gun guy. Mm-hmm. And I would have liked it if there was a uh, Louis Gossett Jr. in this story. That's all fair. I mean, honestly, I'd like it if Louis Gossett Jr. was in every story. Every single story? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that just be like Christmas every day? It would cease to be special. I'll give it a try, man. All right. <laughs> I, I would love the opportunity to get sick of Louis Gossett Jr. I'll make some calls. I mean, I, I enjoy Diggstown. That's how much I like Louis Gossett Jr. I don't Jr. know what that is. Nobody does. Okay. <laughs> is, it, is it better that way? Probably. Oh, okay. I want to give Enemy Mine another try. <laughs> oh. Is that the I one remember he plays that being... the, the male alien that has the baby? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he plays the alien who him and Nick Nolte hate each other but then they love each other and then they have a baby together Real, and then 48 hours to... yeah situation yeah except for no i guess in both movies nick nolte's character is explicitly racist right yeah it is a 48 <laughs> hour situation and i also remember intensely disliking both films mm-hmm. huh well 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 called Corey. thank you okay enemy mine next movie night <laughs> okay <laughs> see how it goes <laughs> Other than that, the Top Gun story that we do get, pretty good. Pretty good. I like it. There were a couple of things that didn't make a ton of sense to me within it. One of them is, you were, you're a little bit older than me. Mm -hmm. Do you ever remember a time when there were world famous hunters? Seems like that might have been a 20s thing, but like, I know there's like some semi-famous bass fishers, but... Like Ernest Hemingway? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But like it established, like he's on the cover of Hunter Illustrated and it describes him as being a he made a lot of money. famous hunter. Yeah. No, no. I don't think that's a thing. I think that's kind of the, uh, the roadhouse phenomenon where hmm? it's Dalton is a world famous bouncer. Ah. Where, you know, in the action movie, the hero is... World famous for being the best at something that nobody is famous for doing. Right, right. So, I guess if Slade Wilson is like Patrick Swayze, then I like him? Hmm. I don't know. I it's, It made me think of all the stuff on social media that I've seen over the past couple years. About where, big about game China, hunters like, shame, and the, shame. how angry it makes me every time I see like somebody with a dead rhino and shit. Yeah, it just seems yeah. like a shitty thing to do. And, there's a scene... and it does correlate to his descent into being a shittier person. Uh-huh. And, and uh, in his office or study or something at his house, he has, there's a scene in which he's got three like bears heads of different colors mounted yeah. on the wall and like one of them is red and i was like damn it that is probably like the last red grizzly bear yeah in the world and you had to go shoot it like a dick yep that's a good point you're right he in okay see back to the roadhouse metaphor though a he bear has, fell on me <laughs> <laughs> yeah he has established himself as being like dalton in one regard but he's established himself as being like Ben Gazzara's character in the other regard in that Ben Gazzara's character was a big game hunter. That's true. Stuffed trophies. And a bad guy. And a bad guy. Mm -hmm. He should have dropped a polar bear on one of the people that was part of the home invasion. That seems like kind of a miss. A missed opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then he confronts the jackal and jackal seems like a real asshole. I wonder if he's supposed to be the same jackal that I think was the actual it's like international the second, terrorist. Second most famous terrorist ever. Yeah. 
and you, you know most famous band that played a chainsaw i remember the name of the band jackal but i don't they played a chainsaw as an instrument that sounds they are later than i remembered them i remembered them being like an 80s hair metal band they were actually an early 90s hair metal band Whoa, I didn't think they still allowed that to happen in the early 90s. Oh, they totally did. In my memory, and when I think of things happening at certain times, there's these clear divisions between decades, and they don't really break down that way. It's like the early 90s were very much still the 80s. Yeah, I guess you're right, but I don't know. For me, it's just like, well, Kirk Hammett cut his hair. Game over. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, we're done. We're done with this era. I don't know. But... When he confronts the jackal in the alleyway, right. and he's a total dick about, my word is my bond, is my bond, mm-hmm. and is willing to potentially sacrifice his child's life for his own hubris, there's a funny thing going on in the background of that. It's, it's on page 18. They're having this meeting in this abandoned alleyway, and it's the jackal and his henchmen, who I think are like ninjas, maybe? The uh, red and black dudes? Yeah. I mean, they're dressed kind of ninja We'll talk about it more sartorially, but they, they've, they've got headbands over their ski masks, which seems like a dumb idea. Um, looks cool. It does look pretty cool. But they're in this alleyway, and there's a sign in the background that has a list of working regulations. And we don't get to see what the regulations are. It's a little bit out of focus. But are those for his henchmen? Do they have a union? Does OSHA approve of the jackal? Oh, no. I, I totally missed that sign. I am... What do you think it says? Um, All henchmen must wear headbands over their ski masks. Right. So that they don't accidentally shoot each other in the head, maybe, like hunters do. Um, safety. Safety. They probably uh, have to get regular breaks, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Only hench for four hours at a time. Yep. They probably get time and a half for invading world-famous hunters' homes. Mm-hmm. On holidays, too. Oh, yeah. Holidays, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I just really liked that there's a working regulations poster because it's not like they're in a different work site. It's not like they're inside a factory or it's just in the a warehouse. <laughs> they're just in an alleyway, which makes it seem like when the jackal got there, one of his hedge people said, I'm sorry, jackal, but you, you have to post these. Did you watch 24? Where ever- I did not. It was like on forever, but there was a part of it where Dennis Hopper, I think, played a, a super bad like Eastern European criminal guy. How was his accent? Horrible, and and that I couldn't. The jackal was drawn in a way that reminded me of this, and I kept reading him talking like <laughs> Dennis Hopper oh, trying boy. to be evil. Oh, boy. I mean, Dennis Hopper didn't have to try very hard to be evil. I get the impression he kind of was in general. Mm. But, like, yeah, that specific... I, I was such a fan of bad accents. Me and Lisa watched Anaconda recently again. Oh, I haven't seen that for a while. Monkey blood! <laughs> so good! Yeah, the jackal, he is drawn very distinctively. He has an enormous forehead and little beady eyes... And what was weird is, I'm not sure if it was a callback, if it was a, like, maybe even like a little joke that Perez decided to do independently of Wolfman in the comic book, but he looks super similar to a dude that is training with Deathstroke. Uh, And it made me wonder if that was supposed to be the same dude. Here, I'll show you. The dude that Deathstroke leaves in the tree? No, just that dude. Doesn't that look like the Jackal? 
but a little bit younger. He's got oh. the same forehead crease. Yeah. He's the guy you just see over uh, Addy's shoulder mm-hmm. when they're in the training camp. Kind of Henry Rollins looking guy. Yeah. You know, evil. <laughs> I don't think that Henry Rollins is probably currently evil. Seems like an interesting fellow. Possibly chaotic neutral. But I was reading the This Band Could Be Your Life and he certainly seems to have had some not non-evil Oh, I didn't read that. Past. But he does have crazy in his eyes from time to time. Indeed. But yeah, let's uh, let's look at the jackal again and see if uh, you see what I'm getting at there. Doesn't that seem like that's probably the same guy? Could be. They got the same eyes and they've got the same weird forehead crease. Mm, it's possible. It is possible. He would have had to have aged a lot in whatever time elapsed between army days and then. I would imagine that international terrorism probably takes it out of you. Especially if you've got a... Uh, you got unions up your ass about the regulations. working regulations. Yeah. He's, he's lost a fair amount of hair. Certainly he has not aged as well as Slade has in that time. No. It was weird. So I guess Slade is supposed to be around 40-ish or so at the time that this current comic book takes place. Something like that. Maybe he just went white-haired early. Right. But he's very, has he's very, very old, old hair. Yeah. Young body, old hair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Healthy body, sick mind. Slade Wilson. Yeah, too hectic. Too hectic. Working overtime. It's just a matter of time. Like Same junkies body. running dry. <laughs> was there anything else about Deathstroke's backstory you wanted to talk about? It was nice to learn how he uh, went from having an orange mask to uh, with two eyes to a mask with one eye. Right. I guess makes sense. I mean, we do know that he only has the one eye now because Addie shot it out when she was trying to kill him, but didn't work. So then they got a divorce. As you do. <laughs> I mean, that also, like, seems like he's a kind of crazy bad guy. And your wife, like, shoots your eye out. And you're just going to be like, okay, well, it's papers. I'm going to serve you papers now. Yeah. That seems highly unlikely. Well, he's, he's practical. He's a professional. His word is his bond. Maybe at one point he promised. I promise that... never to shoot you. <laughs> yeah, or something like yeah. that. It is weird to think about them after she has shot him in the face, sitting down and having like, all right, you need to sign these papers. You need to sign these papers. I'll run them by my lawyer. I bet Wintergreen arranged it all for him. Yeah. Wintergreen, seem, Wintergreen seems like a great helper. He does. Although he must be old as fuck because he looked old back in the early 60s. He's at least 100. He's got to be at least 100. Mm-hmm. Like probably 108. Probably. Again, remarkably spry. There's two reasons why this is one of the most famous Teen Titans single issues. One is we get Deathstroke's origin, probably more of a determining factor in why this book is as famous as it is. We get the debut of Dick Grayson as Nightwing, who I again almost just called Nighthawk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you think of the Nighthawk? Aha! What do you think of the (laughs) Nightwing persona? I gotta say... It's not the strongest debut. <laughs> yeah. He he puts on the costume and it's super dramatic for like a second. The very first thing he does is be like, hey guys, check out my new costume. Hey, you also have a costume. This is my time to have a costume. That's what you get for upstaging Wally's retirement. Mm-hmm. It, it's like the same deal. Yeah. yeah. And then immediately after that, too, his second move, after complaining about being upstaged... I can't control my body! ...is Jericho (laughs) pulls a full Beetlejuice on him and makes him do a weird dance. 
Oh god, that and was then hilarious. punch himself in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, when he's doing the dance, he's like really herky jerky. But they've drawn a halo of like, like exasperation yeah. around him, and his eyes are totally bugged out. It is one of the funniest things. It really is, especially because it looks like he's doing like a can can dance, mm-hmm. um, which really really amused me. I feel like Jericho could have stuck with that or made him do a different, maybe more intricate dance rather than making him punch himself in the face. And it seemed like Jericho was resisted to doing that, but his mom was just like, no, make him punch himself in the face, Jerry. Okay, mom. God, you always make me punch my new friends in the face. I get all fancied up for Ren Fair, and this is what you do? Oh, yeah, he does have a Ren Fair vibe. Yeah. We find out why Dick has chosen the Nightwing persona and costume, and it is to pay homage to the different people who have been a big influence on his life. So the costume is supposed to be paying homage to Batman Mm. and Superman and his parents, who were acrobats, and Starfire. I'm a little iffy on where the Starfire thing comes on. I think maybe he is paying homage to Starfire in that he has a low-cut top. That was where I was going with it. It's like, well, and out of deference to you, I'll uh, show a little chest. Mm -hmm. His parents, the look is very acrobat-themed. Very Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, so it's got that vibe to it. I get that. The name Nightwing and most of the costume, though, where that comes in in being both an homage to Superman and Batman is the name Nightwing first came up in a DC comic in 1963 when Superman and Jimmy Olsen had an adventure inside the bottled city of Kandor. And when he's there, it's a Kryptonian city that got put in a bottle. And when he visits there, it still has a red sun, so he doesn't have any superpowers. Nightwing was the persona that Superman adopted when he was cosplaying as Batman. That's rather confusing. It is, especially because Jimmy Olsen was basically cosplaying as Robin as Flamebird. And they changed the origin later so that Flamebird and Nightwing are, I think they may have even said in those comics uh, that they were like Kryptonian legends and that's why they put on those outfits. But it was pretty much Superman and Jimmy Olsen cosplaying as Batman and Robin. And I think that's partly why I keep confusing him with Nighthawk is, I mean, the names are very similar, obviously, but Nighthawk also was a ripoff of Batman, Mm -hmm. but for the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny that to pay homage to Batman and Superman, though, Dick adopts the identity of when Superman dressed up like Batman. It kind of makes sense. It's also pretty weird. And then I guess they had a team up with the actual Batman and Robin as Nightwing and Flamebird. Jeez. I know. Wheels within wheels. Or, you know, tiny superheroes within bottled cities. Mm -hmm. As the saying goes. Oh, yeah. As the very popular saying goes. Mm. Tiny superheroes within bottled cities. And because it's the 80s, we get a giant collar. Oh, yeah. Big old Dracula, Nightwing, Iron Fist, Black Lightning collar. And it's dope looking. Honestly, Nightwing's costume gets a lot of flack, I feel like. I like this look. I think it looks cool. Yeah, it's a little bit disco-licious. Maybe a little bit late for it to look as disco-y as it is, but Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty dope. I'd say just get on those trapeze bars and ride, man. Yeah! 
What did you think of Jericho as a character? I think the guy's gotta have some serious issues. Yeah. Your dad lets that happen to you? Not just that, but he's got an intrinsically creepy power. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a bad guy power. But everything else that they're establishing about his character is, like, annoyingly over the top in that he's the best. He's super sensitive and super smart and super sweet and has never had a bad thought about anybody in his life. Until his mom tells him to punch yourself in the face. <laughs> I am annoyed at her for not saying, why are you hitting yourself? Somebody in that situation should have said, why are you hitting yourself? It is maybe the largest missed opportunity in it this entire franchise. Uh, very frustrating. <laughs> I, I said it. I did too. <laughs> we also get that Jericho is apparently, he was born with his powers, which technically makes him a mutant. And as the issue ends, there's, I think it's a little nod to the X-Men. This book at this point was kind of established as... The competition, right? The competition, like mm -hmm. DC's equivalent of the X-Men. They had had their X-Men crossover at this point. But yeah, as Dick's leaving, he says, A mutant, eh? Well, we've got aliens, witches, shapeshifters, and cyborgs. So why not a mutant? Sides, I hear you guys aren't half bad. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Nice little nod. Yeah. That's okay. Wink, wink, say no more. Indeed. Sorry. That's okay. It's not as good as a wink to a blind bat. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I thought that was a nice nod. Um, and I guess they're going to go off and uh, rescue their buddies. Since we didn't get the uh, previous Iron Eagle, they get uh, they get to make their own Iron Eagles too together. Mm -hmm. So that's nice. Yeah, good times. They got one more issue to do it? Yeah, which I'm looking forward to. Me too. I liked this issue a lot. I thought, I thought it was really well done. There are some things I'd quibble about slightly, but uh, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Another thing that I did like about Dick in this is that he admits that Batman had tried to teach him ASL and he just never really picked it up. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing to see that he is bad at something. I, I think up until that point, it's always been, he's the most brilliant detective. He's the most brilliant acrobat. Everything that was textually stated about Dick was that he was the best at everything. Mm -hmm. So... When they introduce something that, like, oh, I guess he was bad at picking up sign language. Maybe he's just bad at languages. I thought that was interesting, and I, I, I liked that. I looked at it more like him assessing the situation and being like, this will not be useful to me in my crime-fighting career, therefore I'm not going to pay oh, attention to so it. Oh, so you saw it as him being just kind of a dick. Yep. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I think that probably is more keeping in his general character. <laughs> Every time they show Jericho making a face in this, he looks really dopey. It's The mutton chops are not helping him. The mutton chops aren't helping, but I think more than that is they're trying to soften everything about him. Like, they're trying to make him not seem harsh in any regard. They're by trying drawing. to make him too much of like a goody-goody. But by making him look a little bit sad about everything... And a little bit confused about everything. And it just makes him look really dopey. I feel like they were drawing him like like George Perez had like a picture of one of those lemurs like on his desk. Totally. With the really totally. big green eyes. <laughs> and there is a lot of focus. I mean, his powers are related to his eyes. Yeah, don't lock eyes with him. No, don't do it. Mm -mm. Liable to go into berserker mode. Come yeah. at you like a whirling dervish. I'll fist and elbows. Jump on you like a crazed squirrel. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it has a weird effect where I know that Jericho or Joseph can't talk, but it seems like if he could, he would constantly be making this noise. Meh. I, I I read him like like punctuating every other word with man. <laughs> I can see that too. I can see that too. I mean, like in terms of his philosophy and his stated character, he definitely has like a California Stony vibe. Like maybe a maybe a bit of a McConaughey. Sure. Yeah. I yeah I can see him being like kind of a Matthew McConaughey, mm-hmm. breaking out the bongos and doing his thing. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Nothing I don't think we'll cover in the rest of it. Well then, Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Let's start this one uh, off with a light one. Sure. What was your favorite sound effect? I don't know if it's a light one per se, but the favorite sound effect I had is the sound scritch. I had the same one. From page 18, which is the sound of a sword flying through somebody's face, I guess. Yeah. It's confusing because from the sound effect and from the fact that it is a sword being thrown at a dude and it's making a scritch noise, seems like it should be impaling him. What we actually see is it looks like the pommel is just kind of knocking him out. And maybe I think the, that may be a comics code issue. The dude that is getting hit with the thrown sword is the dude that's got the knife against young. Oh, so the scritch might actually be the noise of him slitting the throat slightly? Or if the sword was knocking out of the way the dagger. Oh. And metal on metal noise. Or it could be the uh, sword flying into the wall. And yeah. like sticking in there. We'll never know. Tough to tell. But yeah, I had the same one. There were a lot of sound effects in there. But they were mostly, other than the scritch, a lot of bams. A lot of shooting. A lot of shooting, and that made a consistent bam noise. There was a ding-dong of a doorbell, which I always good. always enjoy. But yeah, in terms of more eye-catching sound effects, you've really got the scritch. And it's still a bam, but the bam of Adeline shooting Deathstroke's eye out, it's a full-panel bam, and it's pretty cool. That was good. We had a scratch. Nice yeah. glass breaking sound, very mm-hmm. evocative. Mm-hmm. Must not have been Deathstroke doing that. No, it was a red it's shirt. Silent, guys. silent glass. No, he can breaking. break glass without a sound. Mm-hmm. Probably with his mind. Mm-hmm. From his, I like how they gave him his powers. That it was they were injecting him with a serum that would help him defeat uh, truth serum. serums, mm-hmm. and it kind of makes sense that it would be like a combination of like adrenaline and a mental boost to him and then it had side effects that they didn't predict i thought that was clever mm-hmm. yeah yeah i thought so but uh but yeah we're in agreement scritch scritch let's take this party to the bozone okay let's do it what instance of a character calling another character a bozo either literally or metaphorically would you like to highlight I went through this a few times, and I had great difficulty with it. I did, too. I had to bend the rules a little. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What'd you end up with? I ended up with Robin saying to Jericho what he thought Jericho was looking at him like, which was some kind of a disease. Okay. So Robin called himself some kind of a disease. Right. That was a pretty good diss. (laughs) It's a pretty good diss on himself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that really was all happening in Robin's mind. 
I like that. I think that's that's a clever use of it. Jericho's thought bubbles. No, man, my eyes just look this way, man. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good. I hate it when people do what Robin's doing in that situation, which is tell you what you're thinking. Like, it'll happen as a conversational gambit sometimes. <laughs> I know, you're thinking, blah, blah, blah. It drives me fucking crazy. I have even, to deal with it a I lot am. as a bartender. Even if I am thinking that, I'm like, that's not what I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking you shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking you don't know what I'm thinking. Touche. My thoughts are my own. I also had something that Robin said, and it's, again, a bit of a stretch. I think it might even be the same conversation. I took it slightly differently. It is the same conversation, but I decided to go with, what are you looking at, mister? <laughs> I think calling somebody mister is a way of calling them a bozo. I don't think I've ever called anybody mister like that. It's like saying buster or pal or, or buddy. Friend when you mean friend. somebody oh. I would like to punch. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I feel like mister has the same thing where it's like this sarcastic formality uh, that I, I think is kind of like calling somebody a bozo. Have what? you ever called somebody mister? I can't recall, but I, I do recall a different time when... Uh, as a child, I was on a camping trip with my friend uh, Moses, friend of the family, and uh-huh. we were riding our bicycles very recklessly through the campground. And an old man was very angry at Moses and shook his fist and called him Buster Boy. Oh, that's so good! Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> we thought it was hilarious. Nice. It was also a little scary because he was really mad. <laughs> Buster Boy. Uh, give my fist such a shaking at oh. you, Buster Boy! I think my grandmother used to call people Buster Brown, Mm. but always in kind of a joking way. She also, uh, and this is a phrase that I love, but I'm sure mom's told you it, her pretend threat to my mom when she was a kid. Hmm. uh, I'll turn you over my checkered apron and put the Rapsy Dazzles back in your Star Spangled Banner. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that is a heck of a threat. It really is. I love it so much. Hmm. I miss my grandma. Me too. Were you able to find a timestamp in this issue? Eh, so, there was a Vietnam War that happened. Sure. I mean, there is a very specific timestamp for the flashback. Mm-hmm. So I had that. Nope, that's all I got. Yeah, I mean, if, if we're going for the flashback, there is a very specific setup that Addie Wilson, nay, Kane, knee, Kane? How is that word pronounced? I say nay. But I I don't know if that's right. Yeah, me either. That she gives when she is setting up the flashback, which is, it was the early 60s. Vietnam was still several years away. This was before the deaths of the Kennedy brothers and King, when your wildest hopes and dreams were possibilities that could be plucked like ripe fruit from the vine. It was a time when defending your country was an honor and a military career a goal worth pursuing. Yeah, this is like more political, I dare say, than we often hear. Indeed it is. Yeah. And, and not badly done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I decided to go with a somewhat more nebulous timestamp from the story proper, not the flashback origin, which is the fact that, that Mrs. Wilson, nay Kane, is smoking indoors. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the 80s. Mm-hmm. Especially that she's smoking indoors near computers. Mm. I was reading this thing that the original personal computers that IBM came out with had an ashtray that was part of them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I used to be able to do that everywhere. Yeah. And now not. Now not. So, you know, with good reason. Especially near computers. It's bad for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think about uh, Lee Scratch Perry's recording equipment. This getting all resined up. 
That, I mean, no, it's not cigarettes. You but. just touch that stuff and you get high. Yeah. And probably go a little bit crazy. <laughs> probably a little bit. Makes some dope-ass album covers, I'll tell you that much. Oh, he's an interesting fella. No wonder he's kung fu fighting a dragon? Mm-hmm. That's really good. Mm-hmm. A three-headed dragon, each one with a different permutation of Bruce Lee. <laughs> it's a, it's not a real photograph. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a drawing. Ah, oh, you've misled me for the last time, Lee Scratch Perry. The bottom of his Adidas says the Mighty Upsetter, I think. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's really good. That is, that is up there with me for uh, Isaac Hayes' Black Moses album as mm. best album cover. It, it is a good one. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? The answer to that depends on... Do we consider Jericho an eligible member of the Teen Titans at this point? I think we have to. He's debuted a costume, he's a teenager, and they leave on a mission at the end of the issue. In that case, I give it to Jerry. You kind of got to. That's, I had, that was, I was hoping that would be allowable because otherwise I'm going to have the same person <laughs> for both categories. Right, yeah, I mean, you've got a, basically two characters that are eligible. You've got Dick and you've got Jericho. Dick doesn't, for the most part, do a terrible job. I mean, if we could, I would honestly give it to Adeline Kane for not saying, why are you hitting yourself? (laughs) (laughs) But she's not a teenager. She cannot be a teen titan because she is not a teen. It's a shame because I really wanted to do that. But the rules are rules. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I also went with Jericho as the best Teen Titan. He pulls a Beetlejuice on Dick. Um, Messed with him real bad. <laughs> makes him punch himself in the face. So hard that it knocks him <laughs> to the ground. Like, I've never tried that, but I bet it's actually pretty hard. To, I would imagine so. Like, literally knock yourself down. Yeah. It's got to be kind of like that scene in uh, Evil Dead 2, hmm. where... Uh, Bruce yeah. Campbell's breaking plates over his own head. Doesn't he? Does he flip himself over? Yeah, fight with his own. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, but yeah, uh, overall, good job, Jericho. I guess. Uh, conversely, Speedy. Yeah, and the reason that I had for that was like how jealous he got when he was showing off his new costume <laughs> that somebody else had the same costume at the same time. Yeah, pretty much like, the nerve. Yeah, he he doesn't have a particularly bad showing in this. Mostly, he is the. He's an exposition dumpster, I guess. Uh, Which he did well. He's just like a receptacle for absorbing information that we need to further the storyline. He does that fine. Uh, he debuts a new outfit, which I think it's a good outfit, and he talks about his reasoning behind it. But yeah, then he gets turned into a human marionette and... Uh, does a goofy dance, does punches a, himself does in the face. Does a goofy dance, punches himself in the face, and is pretty... This is going to be a shock, but... Pretty bad at maintaining a secret identity. Ah, <laughs> uh, yep, yep. So, so we, we have an accord. We, we do have an accord. It is, uh, and this is the first time we get to say this, uh, it is Nightwing. Nightwing indeed. I know, I keep calling him Robin. I keep calling him Robin or Dick, but no, it's, uh, it's Nightwing. We'll have to get used to it. And, as I said, happy to get used to it. I think it is a good call. It's time he got rid of those short pants and put on his... Just go close. <laughs> exactly. There comes a time in everyone's life when he must do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Favorite panel. Uh, 
they're all on page 24, and I don't know if it's Dick dancing like a crazy fool or <laughs> punching himself in the face like a crazy fool. I can't choose. Those are both very good. I had both of those on my list. I also have page 23, Jericho in action for the first time. When that he demonstrates cool. his powers, we see a green outline of his body moving like the Flash is often illustrated, where it'll be several illustrations of him in different phases of action, but just lightly superimposed over the scene so that we see that he is taking over Dick's body. Uh, I think that's really, really cleverly done. I also really liked the page that I call And Introducing, where we see Dick's new outfit as Nightwing, and we see Joseph's new outfit as Jericho. And I think that's really cool that it's a split panel and we see Nightwing making his, but no, I have a new outfit. I know. I noticed too in this something that I rarely see, which is, I think it's like maybe the first time that they show the stylized, like the logo of the character's name has a little registered trademark next to it for each of them. Well, not for each of them. It's, I've never been completely certain which one means which exactly. Nightwing has the trademark and Jericho has the little R in a circle. Hmm. So I think the trademark means that they've submitted it and they're they're waiting for it to get registered, and the one with the R means it's been registered. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, see, Nightwing has trademark. Jericho has the, little, the registered trademark. Hmm. And Jericho, like, I, the way that these logos are drawn, too, like, I was having a little bit of a Celestial Man flashback. Oh, yeah. Where, like... Because Robin sounds super gothic the way it's written. He's like, Night, Night, Hawk. Or Nightwing. I, that's what I meant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jericho, I don't know, I can't do the shiny, it's like, like Crystal yeah, Gong's voice, but it's very, like... Yeah, it, it's, it looks like his name has been carved out of gems, mm-hmm. kind of. Like Amber, maybe. Yeah, he's a real Candy Crush kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Very sparkly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I, I think those panels are great. There were a lot of like really cool kind of iconic panels in this. That I, I think I probably also would have to go with either Why Are You Hitting Yourself or The Deo Dance. Um, <laughs> you want to take one, I'll take the other? Yeah. Which one do you have a slight preference for? I'm going to take that crazy dance. Okay, then I'll take Why Are You Hitting Yourself. Fair. <laughs> They're both great, though. Yep. Which brings us to, sartorially speaking, lot to talk about. Before we get into the two biggins, Nighthawk's costume and Jericho's costume, both of which we've talked about a little bit already, there are some other outfits. We have Adeline's combat nightgown. Man, that is so impressive. She kicks the butts of three highly trained assassin types mm-hmm. wearing a frilly pink house dress nightgown thing yeah she's a total badass i really like this character she uses a book to crush some dude's trachea uh-huh she's Damn. great but yeah I, I liked that nightgown she was wearing i also we mentioned it briefly but i like that the henchmen have ski masks that then they have tied bandanas around that they have headbands over their ski masks just seems dumb the ski mask is already absorbing the sweat, so that is a purely sartorial move you're doing, and it's one that draws attention to you. It may be one of the work regulations that they have, like for safety, to keep them from shooting each other, but uh seems like if you're doing any kind of, I don't know, undercover work or sneaking around work, which they're trying to do, that's kind of a bad move. But they're good outfits. It looks cool. It does look pretty cool. 
It was like in uh, like 80s ninja movies, how a lot of the ninjas would be wearing like hot pink or bright yellow. Or at least just a headband, so you can be like, those guys are from like the brown team, those guys are from the camouflage team, right. those guys are from the yellow team. Yeah. Now let's get into the, the real deal. Nighthawk's costume. <laughs> Whose costume? Nightwing's costume. <laughs> it's it's uh, spandexy and shiny and it's it's well put together. It is. It's got, I think, what are supposed to be implied feathers around his shoulder blades. They look almost like bullets. Suggestions um, of a feather. Yeah. Suggestions of a yellow feather specifically, which, you know, keeping a little bit of continuity for him. Mm-hmm. There is... A weird choice that is made where there is that also in the crotch of his pants, which look almost like, like eye above, holes. Above his hips? Yeah. It, it makes it almost look like he has just painted angry eyes right above his dick. <laughs> uh, yep. So that's an interesting choice. Pretty weird. His domino mask also looks very like... Almost bad guy-ish. Yeah, it's more gothic. It's more intimidating. It's not the little tiny domino mask just around the eyes. Mm-hmm. It's more elongated at the ends. More uh, ultimate warrior-y kind of. More Alice Cooper. Oh, yes. More The Crow. <laughs> yeah. I should read The Crow comic books. I remember people telling me they were very good. We've already talked probably too much on this podcast about how disappointed I was rewatching the movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a little bit like that. They, they get that drip like dripping bits almost at the outside of them but it's a cool outfit man i think he looks dope i would lose the collar but that's just my modern sensibilities i love the collar i would maybe not paint little angry eyes over my dick i would just maybe put googly eyes oh geez (laughs) moving on to jericho's costume so he's wearing a purple vest with yellow piping over a turtleneck with long flowy arms and tight blue pants and purple boots and what appears to be some kind of a championship belt with a giant amethyst in the center of it. What do you think he won that belt for? What does that outfit imply that he is the champion of? Just a champion of reading Lord of the Rings books and Ah. all the other books like that. And then being like, Mom, I drew this costume. This thing is really awesome. <laughs> I think he is the champion of playing the hammered dulcimer at Ren Fair. We're thinking along similar lines. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he looks like a straight-up, like, Ren Fair fuckboy. Whoa. <laughs> Am I wrong? I'd, uh, no, give give that man a barbecued turkey <laughs> leg and a, call it good. Oh, boy. It is a very distinct look, made more distinct by his mutton chops, which, again, I think I like more than you do. He's got the blue cloak as part of it, but it really, it it again, doesn't look like a cape as much as it does like a cloak, like you would wear for LARPing or something. It's a stupid outfit. And that white shirt is going to get dirty the second he starts crime fighting for... Well, having the big flowing arms would seem like a real liability. They really would. Jumping Um, over fences. Yeah, yeah, he's... You name it. Working on any equipment, it's uh, it's just impractical. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Grand Funk Railroad guitarist uh, Mark Farner ended up shearing off his uh, famously long hair because he w- thought it would be dangerous because he liked to work on tractors and he thought it could get caught in there. 
Smart. Yeah. Smart move. I think Jericho's going to have the same problem as Grand Funk Railroad guitarist Mark Farner. If he tries to work on any kind of a tractor or mechanical equipment, which I'm sure he can, and I'm sure he's great at it because he's great and the best at everything and the nicest guy in the world. Also, he looks like a lemur. And he looks like a lemur. Probably got creepy, long, weird little fingers, too. Probably. I mean, he's a piano player. Mm, I don't like it. Yeah. I'm trying to keep more of an open mind about Jericho. Uh, There are things that I like about the character, but so far they are going so over the top to describe him as being so wonderful. It it makes me go the other way against him. Not entirely fair, but... And very little of that has to do with his outfit, but his outfit also isn't really helping matters. It's way too medieval. It doesn't look current superhero at all. Not really. Although, one thing that does make me like him a little bit more is that we decided that his internal monologue is Matthew McConaughey. That totally helps. That, and I'm just always imagining him with, like, a big floppy hat with a giant feather in it. Oh, totally! Because that, you know, how could he not have that? Yeah, no, he is a theater kid. Mm. Through and through. Mm -hmm. All right, all right, all right. All right. Corey, Mm. I am left but with one final question I must put to you. I was afraid of that. Wapoot! In the year of our Lord, 1984, and the month of our Lord, July, what is Aqualad probably up to? Corey, Wapoot! Aqualad in July of 1984 was at the end of the month. It's been an exciting month. A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of things happened. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure we'll get into more details. But he's looking for change in the couch because he needs to place a call because he has a payphone in his house. Oh! <laughs> Which is like a weird little thing he's got. Yeah, good to but, know. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's so excited because he wants to call Robin. <laughs> I mean, uh, Dick. To tell you mean, him. Uh, Nightwing. Uh, Nighthawk. <laughs> that he just finished watching the Summer Games in L.A. He's in a hotel in L.A. with uh-huh. a payphone. Yeah. And he wants to call Robin. <laughs> I mean, Nighthawk. <laughs> Nightwing. Dick. Uh-huh. And tell him that the U.S. men's team won the gymnastics competition. Oh, so he wants to talk some acrobatics with yeah. his gymnast pal. Yeah, he's calling him up and being like, oh, man, this guy did the greatest... Um, What's the gymnastics thing? Uh, floor routine? Did the greatest floor routine I have ever seen, Dick. It was amazing. He had a few, too. So yeah. Do you was... think Dick got jealous? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what <laughs> else does he do? <laughs> so that's what one of the things Aqualad was probably up to. Hmm. Was making a drunk dial to his buddy Dick and making him jealous about the men's Olympic gymnastics team winning gold. Ah, very nice. That was not the only sport that Aqualad was watching that month. He also, as I believe has been established previously, big tennis fan. True. And he had watched uh, Martina Navratilova defeat Chris Everett at Wimbledon. And Aqualad was very impressed. He also developed a big old crush on Martina Navratilova. Unfortunately, Aqualad had not been keeping up with the news. He did not know that uh, Martina Navratilova had been out as a lesbian since 1981. And he got her number and he called and made some uh, romantic overtures towards her, which were not well received. Oh, Aqualad. Yeah. And uh, then he felt bad about it. Felt a little bit heartbroken. Went home, listened to Careless Whispers, which was released that month. (laughs) And then later consoled himself by watching the debut of Santa Barbara. Oh. So he had kind of a a sad time. Made a bit of a faux pas. Mm -hmm. And uh, then 
yeah, nursed his wounds by watching uh, A. Martinez and Robin Wright in uh, in Santa Barbara. Robin Wright was on that? Oh, yeah. I used to watch it when I was a kid. It was Meg's favorite show. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah, my, my older sister Meg used to watch Santa Barbara every day, which meant that I watched Santa Barbara mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Robin Wright was the younger sister of the main character who was, uh, I don't know the actress's name, but it was Eden Capwell. And then later she became Eden Castillo because she married Cruz Castillo, who was played by A. Martinez. Ah, Robin Wright's love interest on it was a guy named Pearl, who was named Pearl because he had a pearl earring. <laughs> he was a musician. <laughs> of course he was. He wore a fedora. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> and that is what Aqualad was probably up to, learning all of those things about Santa Barbara. So many things. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. This was a treat. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> as much as we did. Yeah. This treat. Yes. We have gotten a ton of really nice feedback and support for the uh, Tales from the Haunted Disco Barn episode. I'm really glad you liked it. It was kind of scary doing something as different as that was, and I wasn't sure how people would receive it, and you guys have been really nice about it, and thank you for that. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. We are on Instagram. Lisa's running that account. Uh, We're on Tumblr, and you can look in your hearts and minds and find us there, as always. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice, be it a Stitcher or... Potty Waddy Ding Dong, or I've Gotta Go Potty, or um, Pod People, or... Um... Are you just making these up, or are yes. these actual things? No, I'm making these up. Okay, don't look for those things, guys. <laughs> you, I mean, you can. I just, well, don't do it at work. Okay, good call. Uh, but yeah, if you do find any of those sites that do actually exist, you can leave us a review there. A positive one, I would hope. And uh, that would help people find the show and would help expand our influence and empire. <laughs> Indeed, that's something we're always looking to do. We will be back next week with the Defenders King Size Annual. And we will be back in two weeks with the conclusion of the Judas Contract. Woo-hoo. And yeah, thanks guys. All right, all right, all right. I'm Jericho. Give me my bongos. Yeah, man. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Bye. And they knew it. Last night at work, um, I was just finishing up settling the visa receipts, and the guy decided to be a dick for no reason. Uh, he was pretty high, I'm pretty sure. But I was like, hi, can I do something for you? And he said, stop being so greasy. <laughs> what? Yeah. And so I was just like, uh, okay. And then I just walked away, mm-hmm. and somebody else took his order. Uh, and then I just did a weird thing. I don't really know where this came from. Later on, like, five minutes later, I saw him having kind of like a conversation with somebody. It looked like they were about to get into it. So I went up to him and I, like, got kind of right up in his face and was like, is there some kind of a problem? And he said, no. And I was like, good. And then I walked away. Mm. And then as I was walking away, he said, what if there was? 
I went back and I got like probably about like four inches away from his face and I said, I'd find out what the problem was and see if there was some way we could resolve it. <laughs> that's, it was just like this. That's an appropriate thing to say. It was, but say. in a weird like combination of like machismo and me having internalized my job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, that's, that was really weird. Was it effective? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've had stuff like that in the past where, like, people are be like, well, what are you going to do if I don't stop? I'm going to be like, I'm going to keep asking you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to stop. Because <laughs> it's really annoying. Yep.